All right. Welcome to Seattle on Tap. I am Courtney Jacobson. And I'm Ashley Toten. Hello. Hello. It's snowing. Is it still snowing where you are? I think a little bit, just barely. Can't uh, see out the window because of, well, I kept the shades closed. But uh, <laughs> I think it stopped here for a bit, but who knows? Um, but yeah, it was pretty cute earlier today. I was just telling you that um, while I was working down, working away down in the office, was on like a little Zoom meeting with my team and uh, Layla comes busting into the office. <laughs> Everybody got a little chuckle out of it. They thought she was pretty cute for pointing out that it was snowing considering majority of my team is in Colorado. So <laughs> to them, they're like, you're just now getting snow. We've been dealing with this since beginning of November. <laughs> I, the other night was posting on Instagram on my personal account. Mm -hmm. um, it was the weather report of the upcoming weather for the week. And it showed some days of snow. Yeah. And my best friend, AKA my cashew uh, mm -hmm. lives and he was like, bitch, you need to recognize it's like negative two where I am. <laughs> going a lot and I was like well <laughs> it's no polar vortex your fault <laughs> yeah nobody forced you <laughs> oh man what else is going on yesterday well when this is coming out yesterday was valentine's day today the date of coming out this episode it is president's day what else do you guys celebrate valentine's day not really i mean we don't really like go out and do anything which is mostly probably because we're also up until this mm -hmm. point we're pretenders we were always working right um but just in general like we go on we have date night every week yeah um, if Daniel feels inclined to buy me flowers, he does it at random times throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, he might get me like a piece of candy or some sort of cutesy small thing, but nothing. He doesn't, we don't go over and out, you know, it's just little, little things. I am, I am very bah humbug about Valentine's day, actually. <laughs> um, partially because working in the restaurant industry for so freaking long, but, um, it's just, you see that it does not bring the best out in people, but also I just really hate the idea that just because it's on the calendar, someone goes out and spends way too much money on some sort of bullshit you don't actually need. Yeah. And it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just like, oh, this is a day I have to go buy you a red thing <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I do all the heart-shaped things and I like yeah. cooking things that are cutesy. Anyway, if you're going to cook stuff, that's whatever. That's your own thing, but. I did, however, because I do this, not just because it's Valentine's day. I do it for every holiday for my niece because it was a thing my mom and grandma used to do and sort of like Easter kids getting Easter baskets. Yeah. They always used to get us little gift baskets for every holiday. Uh -huh. uh, so I, I actually, you were the inspiration because last night I used one of the lush bath bombs that mm. you, um, but I was like, oh, cause my niece Sophie really likes bath bombs too. Mm -hmm. You know, totally my fucking niece. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Layla too. <laughs> I'm like, get it girl. I'm so into it. Do it. Mm -hmm. I totally went on Lush's website and ordered like a handful of the Valentine's day ones and just Cute. had them ship. <laughs> so hopefully it'll get there soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it's kids, I feel like that's a whole different story, but yeah, I would rather, like I use this as an example a lot because, um, a long time ago when Gordon and I were dating, he bought this bottle of wine. It was super cheap, but it was called purple cowboy. And he was like, <laughs> I don't even know what kind of wine. I mean, I'm, you know, like we drink wine here and there. And 
He's like, I don't even know if it's good. It's probably not, but it's called Purple Cowboy. And I felt like you needed it. And I was like, you are 100% correct. That is hilarious. And I do need this. <laughs> like a random Tuesday. And it was a four or $5 bottle of wine. And it was the best gift because he saw it and was like, she needs this. That to me means eons more than roses on a day that on the calendar it says you should buy your significant other person a thing but that's just me other people love it because they're like but it's a day you design you know i get it everybody's got their thing yeah humbuggy about it i i am with you though like it means a lot more to me if i know that my partner significant other whatever you want to call them uh, has thought about you at a random time and yeah. day. It means yeah. way, okay. way more. Having said that, um, a bar I used to work for uh, does a really great prefix menu every year mm. for Valentine's Day. And this is Ito's Tapas. If you're ever in West Seattle, you should go eat there because it's fucking love cool. that place. So good. I still fucking love that place. Mm-hmm. One of the few places I've worked, including the current bar I work at, that didn't lose its magic by me working there. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, Tough. Any, hard, to, hard to pull off. <laughs> it, totally. Sometimes you're like, oh, I really want to work that place. Then you start working and you're like, I fucking I hate never it. come here again. Yeah. <laughs> Not the case with Ito's or Beverage Place. Yeah. Um, but Ito's is just, has been advertising their Valentine's Day dinner thing. Oh. And I, Daniel has to work, but <laughs> there's no reason that I can't take myself out for Valentine's Day. There you go. <laughs> so I might, we'll see how I feel. I like that. That'd be cute. <laughs> Let's see. I think that's all I had as far as notes to talk about. Um, what are you drinking today? I am drinking Georgetown's, uh, Bob's Brown Ale. Um, and Georgetown, again, I think most of our listeners are probably local-ish and know what that is, but if you're not aware, they're in Georgetown's, uh, neighborhood in Seattle, Washington. Um, so this is a very magical hoppy brown ale, uh, usually released on May 14th every year. Um, in 2020, as you're all aware, we had a COVID outbreak <laughs> and the whole point of this beer is to raise money. And because all the bars were closed, they didn't release it on May 14th, like they normally do. Mm-hmm. Instead, they released it mid-December, primarily, uh, in cans. Mm-hmm. However, there were a handful of barrels and beverage place was one of the places that had it. Um, but why is this beer so special? Well, it is a smooth, roasty, chocolatey beer that's brewed annually in memory of Charles Bob Hirsch, who <laughs> literally fought cancer for at least half of his 21 years that he lived. Uh, and Manny knew him personally. Um, mm. And when he died in 2005, Georgetown was like, you know what? We should, I mean, obviously a little later, but when they started doing it, they were like, we have to make a beer every year on and release it on his birthday, May 14th. But they donate, they brew and then donate 100% of their proceeds for this beer to the Ronald McDonald charity house. Um, And that was because Bob's mom picked the charity saying, because they lived in Alaska, they would have to fly into Seattle for treatment when Bob was sick. And every single time, Ronald McDonald charities would house them for the duration of his treatment so that they didn't have to pay to stay somewhere, which is just amazing. Yeah. And a lot of the local bars in the area also donate a percentage of their sales to Ronald McDonald charities. Also, um, mm-hmm. beverage the pub I work for now part-time, um, they go the extra mile and there's at least a couple other places, but they also donate hundred percent of their sales to, um, Ronald McDonald charities. So it's kind of, if you see it, order it, if you like brown ales, cause it's fucking delicious, but it's also for a really good cause and pretty much all the money is going to it. So, and it's also 6.4 by the way. 
So you can have a couple. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking over there? I think we're so, drinking. <laughs> We've finally done it again, and we are both drinking a brown ale. <laughs> and I am drinking Bread Tree. It's a brown ale brewed with local roasted chestnuts, and it's from Fontaflora Brewery, and they're in North Carolina. This is, oh shoot, I lost it, uh, 5.8%. So also, you could have a few. And um, <clears throat> this one I got from Tavor because I just have not been making it out to the local spots to get fun and interesting beers. Um, but this one in particular, this brewery, the Fontaflora, they were one of Thrillist's 32 hottest breweries in America hmm. for last year. Yeah. And then Craft Beer and Brewing named them a breakout brewer. And then... Um, they have made the best of lists on Bloomberg, Gear Patrol, Hop Culture, and Forbes. Mm. So this brewery is like really doing some stuff right now. But cool. um, this one being brewed with, it says, you know, brewed with roasted chestnuts, which I get that kind of roasty, dark, malty flavor from it. But I'm not necessarily tasting any chestnuts, but I'm good. I mean, I'm not mad at it. It still tastes good. <laughs> I ain't mad at your beer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm uh, real happy to be drinking it. <laughs> My God. I As soon as you started pouring your beer earlier, I was like, and we're back. Yeah, I know. Well, and I told you, I saw your can. I was like, wait. You're, you're doing your very best to like hide all the label, but I'm like, wait, I think I know that one. <laughs> I think we're doing it again. <laughs> um, I have a feeling you and I both like got ready and we're like, what am I going to drink today? It's snowing. Winter is coming. I shall yeah. drink a brown ale. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I even ordered this one because I was like, I, I don't think I've done a brown ale. Like I've definitely done porters and stouts and, you know, the all of the barrel aged darknesses, but I don't think I've, at least me, I don't think I've done a brown ale. I act now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I have either. This yeah. might be the first time we've ever had brown ales on the show. And we do it at the same time. I love it. I mean, that's why we do this, right? <laughs> what we do. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, my beer does not have to do with my story today, but, um, like you said, it has to do with the weather and, um, that's about it. <laughs> uh, I am, however, going to tell you today about yet another amazing black woman in history and her name is Nellie Jackson. She was in Natchez, Mississippi, and uh, she ran a brothel. Well, well. Mm -hmm. But also, she was an FBI informant against the KKK during the Civil Rights Movement. Earl, get it. I'm so pumped about this. Let me settle in here. Hold on. Uh -huh. Get comfy. Okay. Also, kind of a, well, I'll get to it. So, <laughs> there's an interesting twist. I'll tell you that. There's a few, but all right, here we go. So, Nellie Jackson was born August 3rd of 1902 in Possum Corner, Mississippi. Super tiny out in the middle of nowhere place, about 23 miles south of Natchez, Mississippi, which Natchez is right on the Mississippi River. Um, you know, 1902, not a great time to be a black person, let alone a black female. Not many 
life ability choices for her to make. Um, she could grow up to be, I don't know, a washerwoman where she washes clothes. She could grow up to be somebody's maid, or she could grow up and marry someone that's a sharecropper. Pretty much her options for life. Um, so she was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Packed her bags somewhere in her late teens, rough, probably 17, 18 years old. And she moves the 23 miles up river or north up to Natchez right along the Mississippi River. And she first comes to what was called um, under the hill. So it's right on, it's basically a landing spot, a bunch of um, like a big dock and much, much earlier than when she got there, there, it used to be a spot where um, slaves were sold. Ooh. I don't want to call it a port city because it's not a big area, but it's fairly main hub along the river. And yeah, a lot of slaves were sold there. Very, very, like extra very rough spot. <clears throat> basically just a row of brothels, gambling houses, and saloons, it's, you know, all along the river, and then the port, <laughs> or not even really a port, just a big dock. So um, it was for the longest time known as the roughest spot along the Mississippi River. So, great. Um, and so she gets there and she's like, okay, I can do this. And she becomes a sex worker. But she wasn't trying to be like some of the other women where she's just maybe dulling her, the pain of her life with booze and drugs and what have you and kind of the cycle of money and having to keep working like that. She's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to use my money wisely so she socks away a bunch of money and she ends up going up uh so there's a big bluff and so under the bluff is called under the hill and then above the bluff is where kind of like the nicer portion of the residents of Natchez lived and actual homes like upper middle class and uh, she saves enough money that she ends up buying a house on one of the main roads and very prominent spot in town. And um, that's where she continues her business. She still is a sex worker, but she's in a house. She's in a very nice house. In fact, she keeps it so nice and upkept. It's one of the, it's the nicest house on the block. And she um, entertains her guests, <laughs> if you will, in her house. So within the safety of where she lives. Um, but she's also, you know, she did not get to this point by being some meek, meager woman. She was tough she always had a gun on her and uh she was not one to take any bullshit from anybody so she uh you know folks would want to pay a visit and so they'd drive up her very narrow driveway go around back park behind knock on her back door that was generally always open except for the screen door knock on the screen door and she'd invite someone in, maybe sell them beer, have some conversation and then invite them in for some business. And uh, after a while, she got to where she was very successful and would hire a few other women. She always said that she ran a boarding house for women. She charged them rent. And whatever she did in those rooms or whatever those women did in those rooms was their business. She wasn't there to judge anybody. 
So that was her official business. <laughs> she even had a um, an accountant that she visited every year. She paid taxes. She donated tons of money to the local church that she was a member of. She donated a ton of money to the local orphanage. She eventually um, built up her little black book so well that uh, she had very influential customers to the point where it was like this rule that you knew if you were going in there and you saw someone that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe this person is here. It's like a governor or a, a senator or even higher up or whatever, someone that was very influential. The rule was that you do not make eye contact and you do not initiate contact. You don't even look over and say hi. If they look over at you and they say hi to you, you're cool. Go ahead and keep conversation. But you do not ever mention to anyone that you saw that person there or you never come back. And uh, it was said that um, Nellie Jackson was a really big fan of horse races, poodles, and baseball. She'd been to several World Series games, like in the stands. And a good friend of hers, Bill Hera, aka Hera's Casinos, mm -hmm. gifted her World Series tickets to the 1984 World Series in Detroit. Wow. Good buddy. <laughs> and um, so by 1930, she had a fully successful brothel, a very sought after rumored black book that no one has ever found, but people knew it existed. Some people say they saw it that could probably topple governments and many fortune 500 businesses. <laughs> and um, she uh, was doing pretty well for herself. And again, she was really a pretty big deal in the community. She would take care of a lot of folks in the community. She even started buying up houses on that same street where her house was and would rent them out to folks that were maybe not doing so well and give them breaks here and there and you know maybe give them a lower rent or something like that. Um, the girls that she hired, she treated very well. They would call her Mama Nelly. And uh, anytime a new girl would come into town and wanna work for her, she would take them out and about to really nice stores, maybe buy them a few things, but really it was kind of like her way of parading them around to let people know that this new girl was gonna be at her, at Nellie's place. And um, some women would come from all over the US. We're talking like Northern states, California, Florida, like everywhere all over the US, even Alaska. Sometimes they'd just come and spend a few weeks and then they'd have their bills paid for several months and they'd go home. Nice. Sometimes women would moonlight while their husbands were out on the oil rigs working and they just work there for a while <laughs> until their husbands were going to come back and then they go back home and be in their happy little family. No questions asked. <laughs> suddenly bills could be paid. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as we know, late 50s into the 60s, things were getting rough around the US for civil rights. Um, a lot of the KKK started uh, getting extra bad right in Natchez for some bizarre reason, it was like some of the worst KKK activity was right in Natchez. They were parading broad daylight around town, like quite literally in a parade. 
of moronic ghost looking dudes in their stupid costumes all armed to the teeth and constantly pissed because not only is she running a brothel which they were like oh we can't stand for that even though majority of the guys that were in the kkk were some of her clients that would go in there yeah and um but they would burn stakes on her lawn, try to, you know, throw rocks through the windows, all kinds of bullshit, try to threaten the girls that worked there. And uh, so one day, a gentleman that worked for the FBI reaches out. He shows up late, like three in the morning after she's shooing people out, closing up for the night. They have a conversation and after a while they agree upon whatever and she voluntarily never received a dime starts meeting with this man and some of his colleagues between 3 and 5 a.m at least once a week to give them information so basically she and the girls that worked there for her would get info from these moronic KKK idiots and then they would pass it off to the FBI and they were able to take down quite a few members and prevent quite a few awful things from happening just because of her Amazing. helping out. And there were some <clears throat> pretty big civil rights movement marches and things like that, one in particular um, where like 271 black people doing a peaceful march in Natchez were arrested. And we're talking like one of them was seven years old, seven or eight. Can't arrest a seven-year-old. Jesus Christ. In 1963, apparently that was just fun. Ugh. And she bailed almost all of them out good yeah like some she just was rolled up in there because she was friends if you will with the sheriff and the mayor and um she rolled up in there and was like what the fuck are you guys doing you need to let those boys go mm -hmm. and they let a lot of folks go and then the other ones she just bailed out so she was a really big influential person during that time. In fact, um, other people in the civil rights movement started coming there and you know, talking to her and kind of getting her advice, meeting and like planning things there. And um, so she also, just to kind of keep things kosher Unfortunately, because of the times, she wouldn't allow black men to patron her establishment. And it was more of that, like, again, like I said, very unfortunate, but it was kind of one of those things where to keep things so that she wouldn't get busted and so that she wouldn't be having a lot of legal troubles. Uh, because she was in the South. And so she just, I mean, she had every shade of skin color for women that worked in there. But as far as patrons, she wouldn't allow black men in there. So that was unfortunate, but um, she did have a tradition on Christmas. She would always bring wine to the nuns and the priests at the Catholic church nearby. And she would personally deliver a bottle of Jack Daniels to the sheriff and the mayor every Christmas. <laughs> kind of like, Merry Christmas, here's your bottle of Jack. We're still cool. She never like paid anybody off, but also like she made a point that 
we're good. We're still kind of friends. You can come into my establishment whenever you want, but also I'm always going to make sure that there's no problems. She had a hard and fast rule that if you were intoxicated, you could not come in. She That's wouldn't good. allow. Yeah. Because unfortunately, once she made that exception fairly early on and one of her girls actually died because a man was so intoxicated and he yeah worse yeah I think it was that he slit her throat at one point yeah it was awful awful just like yeah real bad and um so she kept her brothel going until July 4th of 1990 she was 87 years old and she did not stop because she decided to retire. One night, again, July 4th, a guy was out and about with a bunch of his frat buddies. He went to Ole Miss and partying it up because it's 4th of July. And they're bouncing around at bars. He is hammered. It's like one or two in the morning at this point. And he's like, I'm not done for the night. We've all seen those people that get drunk and they're just never done. And, Mm -hmm. but they should be. And so he goes to Nellie's place, knocks on the back door. She opens it and he, she's like, what do you want? Cause that was always the thing. They'd open the back door and be like, what do you want? (laughs) And, uh, so he was like, I want in. And he's all hammered. And he's like, I want some, you know, something. <laughs> and uh, and she's like, nah, you got, you know the rules. You don't get to come in here when you're drunk. Come back tomorrow. They'll sleep it off and you can come back tomorrow. He's not because he's a spoiled ass white boy, you know, frat boy. And he leaves. And he's not trying to take no for an answer. So he goes straight down the road to the 76 station and he buys a little cooler and he fills up the cooler with gasoline. Hey. And he walks it back to Nellie's, knocks on the front door. She opens the front door and she's like, what are you doing knocking on my front door? I told you to leave anyway. You got to get out of here. And she doesn't like open it all the way, but she opens it just enough to where, you know, like you open it a little bit and you're like, peeking out you know as she's yelling at him to get out of there he takes the lid off of this little cooler throws it in the yard and chucks that entire container of gasoline at her he gets some on himself in the meantime he lights the match throws it on her of course because it's how gasoline works it also lights him on fire He starts running down the road like a running fireball. Somebody happens to see him running down the road and they're like, what the hell? A cop happens to be driving by. They also used to film a lot of movies in that area. So this cop that's driving by thinks that he's just seeing a scene from some weird action movie that he didn't realize was being filmed at the time. And he's like, oh, that's weird. And he's kind of looking around for the film crew. And then he gets the call saying that somebody lit Nellie's place on fire and they're starting to give him the address. And he's like, no, shut up. I know where it is. Drives over there. Her front porch is engulfed. Of course, fire department shows up. They're putting the fire out. Somebody goes in. She had two poodles she always had one or two poodles at a time one of them died with her well died there um the other one crawled under her bed and she had always stashed like cases of liquor and beer under her bed and it made like this perfect little spot that protected the other dog to where it like crawled under her bed and behind and in so it was like a big u and it was protected enough to where it didn't get caught on fire but she had 80 percent of her body burnt she 
horrible way to die. Yeah. She gets, she's still breathing though. Oh no. So they take her to the hospital and she dies officially at the hospital on July 11th, 1990. And with her, the brothel also died because there was no one really, I mean, she didn't have any children. She had a niece. She had a great niece that helped her out a lot, but wasn't trying to take it on. And yeah, Nellie's place was no longer. She lived a week. Yeah. Oh, that's even, honestly, that's even worse. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. But she was so fiercely loved and known. I mean, people in Europe knew about this place. She had t-shirts for God's sakes. But some entitled schmuck had to, Mm -hmm. couldn't take an answer. Yeah. The extreme of white privilege. Awful. Wow. Happy Black History Month. Yeah. So, I mean, she wasn't exactly a saint, but at the same time, the oldest professional profession and there's not much more honest than the transactions that happened there and and she gave so so much to that community and the civil rights that and there's something to be said about a woman that um especially a woman that knows Mm -hmm. what she deserves and what her place should be which Mm -hmm. is what she herself because she wasn't taking handouts yeah she was fucking ass off and building the life she wanted and she wasn't taking no for an answer and she was taking care of others it's amazing yeah she was a badass some moron had to fuck it up i mean there is something to be said for the fact that she survived even past the days of the under the hill area in Natchez and um she did get to live in this profession you know well into her late 80s she was 87 which is just phenomenal she was a month shy of her 88th birthday I wonder how long she would have lived had that douchebag not done that Well, at this point, she was not completely, but most of the time wheelchair bound. Like when she was out and about in town, people would wheel her, like her, her great niece would wheel her around, but, and she had a cane and stuff. So she wasn't, I mean, she was just starting to show signs of being much older, but yeah, yeah, I think she probably would have lived probably another I don't know, eight years. (laughs) Easy. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. The rough. It was a roller coaster. I know. But it's crazy because there's just not a lot out there about her. There's pretty much like a few articles online and a there's a documentary that you can find on Amazon. It's called Mississippi Madam, the life and times or life of Nellie Jackson, something like that. And it's, it's, it's like sound quality is pretty bad. There's a lot of very, very deep Southern accents that are um, of much older people. And so it's hard to understand some folks, but, um, you know, it'd be nice if there were a few subtitles, (laughs) Uh, but the information's really good. And the story is really good. It's, it's her great niece that is in a lot of it and gives a lot of great info as well. Like, um, an actual historian did actually make this documentary. And so it's, it's really a lot of good information, but again, it's, it's a bit of a rough watch. 
just production value wise there's some points where somebody's being interviewed and you can hear too much background noise you're like what is he saying <laughs> like what i was saying was that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's really cast but <laughs> Well, with that, um, let's take a little mini break and we'll come back and you can tell me a story. I will tell you all the things, not all of them, just one thing. Okay. Okay. We're back. Nice little break. <laughs> yeah, we had a little chit chat. You Made know, faces, took some photos, <laughs> drank some drinks, uh, and also verified that it's still snowing. Yeah, that's exciting for well, you, but not me. me. I'm I'm up higher, just a bit further south. What am I like? Two miles south? If that something like that. Something like that. Um. Um, so funny story, mm -hmm. well, not funny, very awesome. It is black mm -hmm. history. Um, and we decided that we were going to try to utilize that time. Although mm -hmm. I personally, and I know you do too, mm -hmm. think that black history month should be just everyday history. Right. I said that. I like that we have a month of focus too, that we're like, this is an important thing. I think that's Agreed. great. Very much. Um, and so uh, I won't call him a friend. I'll call him an acquaintance because it's been years and years since I've even seen his ass. Um, <laughs> a fellow that used to bartend here in West Seattle at a bar that no longer is around, um, but is affiliated to Jeff, who did our logo called oh, the Feed. Okay. Um, Jordan is his name. Mm -hmm. um, he's now a bartender in Oakland, California, which is where he was originally from. Mm -hmm. uh, he has been doing this really, really cool thing for Black History Month where he has been. Um, doing a quick, like two minute, this is this person in history. This is why you should know them. Now, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, and he did one on the person I'm about to do the story on. And I had a never heard of this person, which is appalling. Right. Secondly, it blew my goddamn mind because it's so relevant to us. Uh -huh. And so the fella I am talking about here is named Richard Bowie Spikes. And also fun fact, dude's name, middle name is Bowie. And I'm a David Bowie fan. So that blew my mind too. That's pretty badass. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> so Richard Bowie Spikes was born on October 2nd of 1878. He was born in what's now known as Dallas, Texas. Um, and there has been some controversy that he was actually born in like Native American territory in okay. what Oklahoma, but all records I was able to look up said it was Dallas, Texas. So I'm rolling with that. Yeah. Uh, he was one of nine children in his family, which is a fucking lot of children. Oh. Um, but at least two other siblings, two of his younger brothers, John Curry Spikes and Reb Spikes were very well accomplished jazz musicians in their time. FYI, just fun fact. Richard himself was also fairly musically inclined um, and he played the violin and the piano. In addition to those talents, he started picking up, his father was a barber and he kind of picked up on that trade and was one of the sons that would go to shop with his dad and you know, learn how to cut hair. Um, and although he was super duper skilled, he didn't initially stick to the trade. He kind of like, you know, a lot of kids do that. They're like, you know, I'll learn how to do this thing or that thing, but I'm going to do my own shit. Yeah. That's 
So although he was a skilled barber, he decided, you know what, I think I'm gonna become a school teacher. I think that's what my calling is. And shortly after this time, he met and married his wife, Lula Bell Charlton, not Carlton, Charlton. I had to like phonetically write it out because I kept wanting to say Carlton. <laughs> and they had one son together that they named Richard Don Quixote uh, Spikes, which is a very funny name to me. I mean, not funny, but like cute name. Yeah. Um, and that young man was born in 1902. Um, and so based on that year of like the year of his son's birth, um Richard would have been 24 at the time so he was you know still pretty young Lulabelle's dad Charles Napoleon Charleston uh by the way just another fun fact I'm gonna throw out there co-founded uh the first public school in the city of Beaumont for American uh excuse me African-American kids nice that's pretty cool too their whole family was just on fire um so the reason I brought up the age thing is that not a lot is known about Richard's personal life or his youth. Um, but we do know that not long after he got married that Richard, for whatever reason, decided he was going to head out West. So first he went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he wasn't there for too long, but then he went to Bisbee, Arizona. And once he got to Bisbee, he of course went to what he knew best, and started a barber shop. But soon he kind of was like, I am not making any money right now. And he started a saloon because turns out booze was selling better than haircuts in the wild fucking West. Yeah. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> so what goes hand in hand with a saloon? Alcohol. Uh-huh. Richard was slinging drinks to his patrons of the saloon. If not personally, he was at least absolutely watching that shit in action. (laughs) And while observing the process of pouring beer, Richard found himself just totally beside himself and dissatisfied by how the beer itself was dispensed. Because this isn't some old school barrel shit. And he was like, okay, you know what? I have to remedy this because I, this is just bumming me out. Not a fan. By 1908, Richard had patented, want, patented, I can't speak English, excuse me. That is we all hard to say though, patented. Uh, you know, I don't speak Swahili or English. Um, both difficult. <laughs> both very difficult. Um, by 1908, Richard had patented one of the first pressure dispense beer taps. So this That's system's- so cool. It's so fucking cool and it even gets cooler. That system was purchased by Milwaukee Brewing Company and some iterations of this. Yeah, dudes, for reals. (laughs) We're not worthy. (laughs) Wayne's World. (laughs) Uh, Um, But some iterations of this are still in use. And so I made a point to look like pull up the patent and look at it as well as most of these actually um, that I'm going to talk about. When I looked at this, um, there was obviously with the patent, there's a written thing that's like, these are the intents. This is what the purpose of this tool is. But there's also to show what the thing is supposed to look like, what the components are. It looks pretty similar to what a common, like a common coupler and connect, like the keg top looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It involves like the stem that goes into the keg Uh and the connection and a twist on coupler yeah. that had a gas valve or in this time it was a pressurized air valve and then a beer dispensing valve that ran with the tap which nowadays if folks aren't familiar with draft lines they are commonly either co2 or nitrogen that compress yep. the beer without or a weird combination of both yeah uh, Anyway, I was really surprised to see how relevant it is to modern technology. It has not really all changed all that much. Yeah. If you think that that dude developed that way back then, you're like, that blows my mind. Um, Anywho, Richard was clearly a smart fucking cookie um, and went on to invent some other amazing fucking things. 
He patented the billiards cue rack in 1910, which folks that don't shoot pool, that is the thing that holds the little sticks, the cues. Yeah. It has grippies that hold onto them so they don't fall down. And I, so when I read that he developed that, I started laughing because I was like, he worked in a saloon and he was probably like super sick of hearing drunk assholes dropping them all the fucking time. They're like, yeah, black, hitting everything. And like, I got to build a thing for that. This is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Working in bars, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hearing a pull cue fall is the most obnoxious noise. It's so off. Just a wham. Everybody wham. just stops. <laughs> Um, in 1919, he patented two different components, making up a continuous contact trolley, both the trolley pull arrester and the take-up device, which I wrote out and still don't know what they do. I read the whole thing and I don't get it. Technology, I don't understand. Um, so that's fun. Uh, <laughs> then in 1923, he patented the brake testing machine which is a machine that measures the force at which is necessary to rotate a braked wheel, which they use to now test brakes wow. on car. Oh, fucked up. You know, if you need to replace your brakes and shit. That same year, he patented a thing called a pantograph. And this device is essentially a connector on top of like an electric train or truck, like a bus. Um, we see them a lot here, like in Pioneer Square and Capitol Hill, but they're the parts that connect on the top of the bus to the power lines that mm -hmm. electricity run through for electric yeah. vehicles. Really fucking cool. And that dude made this shit happen like 1923. That's insane. That blows my fucking mind. Especially so Richard hearing back then and then shortly after, that one in particular was everywhere in you know like San Francisco and in Seattle like all the major cities yeah it was, it was oh, totally. and I I just imagine him being like oh I gotta catch the trolley down the road and being like god this could be so much better and then just mm -hmm. being obsessed with it and going home and doing that probably with a draft beer in hand heck yeah um, so Richard eventually made his way all the way to the West Coast, where in addition to creating all the wonderful things I just mentioned, he also continued working as a barber. Um, and he owned and operated several barber shops between San Francisco, Fresno, and Stockton, California. Unfortunately, Richard, um, he developed glaucoma, and this was a thing that um, ran in his family. Oh. A lot of his family members had it. And actually one of his other brothers, I'm not sure exactly which brother, because I didn't write it down. Um, developed, <laughs> he developed one of the first like writing tool, like essentially it's a clipboard uh, that he, but it was something to keep paper affixed for blind persons to write out or feel out what they need to do, you know? That's to cool. I was like, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, Wow. But Richard, I mean, I'm not surprised. Him going slowly blind did not fucking stop him or slow him down. And he would go on to invent or develop significant modifications to devices and systems and then patent those ideas for at least 14 items between 1908 and 1962, wow. including, wait for it, Modifications to the automatic gear shift, including the ability for them to shift into reverse. <laughs> Horizontally swinging barber's chairs, which makes sense because he was working yep. in barbershops and he was like, why don't these move the way they yeah. need? Um, automatic brake safety, um, like the automatic brake safety system that most cars have now, he developed in 1962. That was the last thing he patented. Wow multiple barrel shit machine gun he made improvement to that which is cool but also like <laughs> an automatic car wash and an improved version of directional signals for automobiles which wow. is 
Um, so the next time you're pouring a draft beer or flicking your blinker to change lanes or throwing that shit in reverse <laughs> or, or breaking or breaking appropriately and safely, just remember that not only did a wildly talented human do that and make your life fucking easier, but he was also a black man. And that is why black history should be every day because yeah. turns out we are trying to cover as many amazing people as we can this month, but it's only a month. That's only four weeks. And it's That's a short eight. month. Do exactly. you know why? Do you know why? I mean, a lot of people kind of him and haw and, and talk some shit about how Black History Month is the shortest month of the year. But do you know the real reason why it's this month? No, tell me. So the because influential black people in history um were born in this month and also lincoln was born in this month so it was like they found a month where more influential black people in history plus you know the guy that kind of helped set slaves i mean like he you know what i mean um yeah <laughs> he's the figurehead basically of setting slaves free um so yeah and that's why it's i mean yeah it's probably also very convenient for some racist white people that this is the month and it's shorter but um that's the main official reason why it's february He'll just have to wait till Indigenous Peoples Day comes around. And <laughs> oh, I couldn't help it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. His or country's how- history is so fucked up. <laughs> God, it really fucking is. Every time I like, sometimes these older historical stories when I start reading uh-huh. and then like, this one, um, Richard Spike's lifetime. So late 1800s to like pretty much modern time, like 1900, um, late 1900s, I should say. Yeah, he lived a long ass time. That's awesome. And the history that took place in that time and how much the world changed in that time. Oh my God. I was thinking about that for Nellie Jackson too. Like the w- wild differences from 19... 19- O two to nineteen or sorry, yeah, nineteen oh two to nineteen ninety is bananas. Yeah. And it's also interesting, both the people we picked to yeah. do stories on today were people that were in the same time. Were people that were not treated well at all yeah. during that yeah. time. And fucking excelled during that yeah. time. And changed the world, really. Completely, yeah. It's pretty fucking sweet. Definitely glad they lived. Me too. (sighs) Also, it's really nice that I didn't tell a murder story today. It makes me feel real nice. I'm sure I did. (laughs) Oh my God. I did not tell you this. And I'm so glad that we're, that our audience gets to hear this too. So it's been slowly leaking from the seams that uh, we do this podcast at my new job. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't run in advertising it, but it's come out with a couple of coworkers and that shit's spreading. Yeah. However, <laughs> my big boss, I guess. So the boss of my boss uh-huh. came in the other day and I was in training somebody and she's like, Ashley. I tried to listen to your podcast and she, I warned her that it was mm-hmm. true, crime, but she listened to our, the episode that I did the ax man of new Orleans. Oh yeah. She was like, your My story. Aaron loved that story. That was one. He said it was one of the creepiest, but he loved that story. But I got too to turn it off. Yeah. I can't. I'm sorry, but I can't listen to your podcast. I got too scared. And I was like, oh, okay. To each their own. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, so on welcome. that note, <laughs> you're welcome for the nightmares. <laughs> That's funny. So funny. 
That is funny. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Uh, one of my coworkers just told me today that he listened to our first episode. I was like, Oh, I told you not to listen, start at the beginning. <laughs> well, I'm real proud of all of our episodes, but yeah. I definitely, I mean, this is the case with any new podcast. Like I recently went back, right. listened to a couple like first episodes of MFM mm-hmm. and you can tell they're like, we don't know what we're doing right now. And that's fine. I mean, we okay. found it, um, but I feel like we've definitely improved. Yeah, I think we have too. I mean, we could do with some better equipment, perhaps. Maybe mm-hmm. not a free editing platform. <laughs> and maybe if the pandemic would fuck off, we could record together again. And that would be oh. fucking. That would be amazing. Oh, speaking of which, wear your goddamn mask. Jesus. Yeah. Jeez, people. <laughs> I've I have I I have seen quite a few people getting vaccines, which makes me extra happy. Mm-hmm. I know I'm excited to get the vaccine because yeah. I know it's not gonna like cure the world or even necessarily prevent me from getting it but it would lessen the symptoms mm-hmm. hopefully prevent me spreading it i would hope yeah yeah for sure i'm i'm looking forward to a day where watching tv watching pre-covid tv doesn't make me cringe anymore and if I see someone not wearing a mask, it makes me want to both scream at them and run away. <laughs> so you, the other day, Daniel and I were watching something and uh-huh. I may not have been under the influence of marijuana. <laughs> and out of nowhere, I like sat up and looked kind of panicked. And he was like, what? And I'm like, that guy doesn't, oop. And he was like, well, I'm like, it's now so weird to see people without a mask on uh-huh. that I was shocked to see this character in a movie. Yeah. Even real life. I was like, why doesn't that guy have a mask on? And then I'm like, wow, Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> or even you watch shows that you know were filmed post-COVID. And of course, no one on set is wearing a mask. And you're kind of like... I just can't think about it. <laughs> I, I, I have too many questions in my head and I got to stop thinking about it. Yeah, I really hope we get over this. I just, um, speaking of COVID, I have been jonesing. And also speaking of New Orleans, I've been jonesing to go to New Orleans. Like so fucking bad. I've been wanting to go back. I have been jonesing I- to go so many places. <laughs> I think I, the whiskey trail or whiskey, no, the bourbon trail. That's what it is. <laughs> Same difference, sort of. <laughs> yeah. uh, but one of my favorite beer bars um, down there who, if you have never heard of this bar and you've never been, treat yourself and go to New Orleans and go to the Avenue Pub on mm-hmm. St. Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that bar, first of all, downstairs bunch of beer a couple of a few whiskeys upstairs is a whiskey bar with a few beers so you can have the best of all the worlds which is they're also usually yeah which is like just such a dreamy place for me I mean I was there every day I mean yeah it's basically like heaven for both of us oh yeah whiskey and beer and the staff was insanely amazing Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, they were posting something last night that made me go down a rabbit hole like I do trying to figure some shit out because they were like, hey, come on in. We're tonight, you know, get your whatever tonight before we have to shut down. Mm. And I guess New Orleans is going back into lockdown. You know, I hate to talk some shit, but I could see that. I mean, it's a tourist town. Yeah. But yeah, I was. Uh, a lot of the southern southern to midwest states are you know just not having such a great time with all this 
I'll leave it at that. Bottoms me out. Guys, wear your mask. I want to go back to the Avenue pub, but I don't want to get COVID. <laughs> I think uh, so with that, until next Monday, drink good local beer. And you're welcome for the nightmares. <laughs> Not you guys. Bye. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website, Seattle on You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by bubble Baptism, courtesy of the Subterranot recording collective. And uh, until next Monday, drink good local peer. peer. No, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs>